Hi, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours. Yet another episode. The amazing thing is that we've got Jonathan Barnbrook on the programme, the graphic designer who I've long admired, who created the album covers for the last four Bowie albums, and he was involved in the Bowie exhibition. He's a typographer industrial designer and um, very famous graphic designer he had his own show on in 2007 at the design museum in london and um he's a generally decent chap very creative he's also got a band uh, called fragile self with his wife emile and um, they do electronic music so that's where the link is so here he is the exceptionally talented jonathan barnbrook Are you in a recording studio, by the way? I am. This is my okay. uh, my recording studio in, in Tile Yard in um, King's Cross. It's very nice. All right. Okay, um, I've got a 3D sound um, rig here as well. Right. So we record stuff in 3D. And uh, you should come down one day. You'd like Fantastic. to. Great. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. Okay, let's start. So, first of all, Jonathan, thank you for coming. And uh, and uh, agreeing to do this because um, as I um, as I had mentioned to you on a previous talk, um, uh, let's start again. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Good, 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 good. Um, I'm a big fan of your work. Obviously, the last four Bowie albums were. Uh, Something of a revelation for me in terms of how uh, Bowie chose you to yes. uh, to uh, to um, to explain in some kind of abstract way his his feelings. So, can you t- tell us about that first? And then we'll go back to your growing up and all that stuff. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I first worked with Bowie on a book with his uh, wife Iman, and um, you know, on a pragmatic level. Repeat business is the best business, and I think the relationship worked well. And I felt like we had some connection. We understood. We both come from backgrounds where we want to take art into the the mainstream. And I think, obviously, he tried to do that with his music and was, you know, amazingly successful, possibly the best person in the 20th century to do it, part of the 21st. But also it's this thing of you can have quite an extreme idea, but you want to make it presentable to people. Uh, and you want to make them understand the ways of living through that idea. And we tried to do that and tried to show what was going on in the music in a, in a less predictable way on the album cover. So it wasn't the, the nice photo of the pop star. It was how, for instance, on the next day, was how do we interject in that message of the nice photo of the pop star? So we covered up the face so you didn't know what was really what Bowie was at that point. And with for instance, with Black Star, it was very much the music isn't right for a nice shiny picture of the pop star. So let's let's take a step back um, and have the emotion come through in a more abstract. Yeah, uh, just about Black Star for a second. Um, yeah. I think it's a it's a very delicate subject. So obviously, at the time, we didn't know how ill yeah. Bowie was. You knew probably, and people around him knew. In fact, I talked to Tony Visconti about this as well. Yes. Um, and yeah, out of respect for 
for David. He he, um, he didn't really want to talk about it, understandably. Yeah. And but I, you know, what I think is, it's a very delicate subject. If you are seeking to embody your uh, one's mortality <laughs> or lack of it thereof uh, in in an in in a in a visual sense, it's very very easy to be mawkish. And yes, kind yes. of uh, over sentimental, and so therefore, the, uh, this is how I've uh, rationalised it. Anyway, tell me if I'm wrong. Is the 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 kind of arm's length kind of artistic approach is a beautiful way of of of, of translating that uh, very profound existential issue? Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually know. I, I could guess from the songs that something was up, but I felt more like it was just it was his stage of life and he was reflecting on what went before. So we did discuss the ideas of mortality, but it was very much from a universal point of view in that this is what every human being faces rather than what he directly faces. And I think that's what gave it less lack of sentimentality because, for instance, afterwards I did a, a lyric video with the record company and we put a picture of him in and it immediately changed the... Yeah. The perception of the video. So it's very important to keep that distance and not to be sentimental. Of course, when somebody dies, there are all those feelings of grief and sentimentality. But I think he felt that, um, well, I mean, I didn't directly talk to him about it, but he felt that there, it was something that obviously would last beyond his death and something that had to resonate with people in a very free universal way. So that's why the discussions were conducted in that way. And it's very brave of him, I think. I don't, I, I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, and you know I'm not I'm not um, I, I'm not uh, the world's greatest expert on every recording that's ever been made. I can't remember another artist uh, acknowledging their own demise. Yes, I can't yeah, remember. I think, can you? I can't. No, I can't. And I think it takes takes an honesty in a, wanting to be in service of a pure form of art to do it. And that's why Black Star is such a, I mean, it's a great album musically as well, but in terms of honesty, I mean, I still find it difficult to listen to, um, actually. I, I listened to it nonstop for about a month after he died, and then I haven't listened to it since because yeah. I just find it too painful. It is. And that's the purpose of art, is to make is to impact you, of course, but make you kind of... Uh, in my view, anyway, is make you reinterpret the world around you according to a certain, uh, slightly altered rules, and he achieved that for me. And yes, and to understand what human existence is, that's what great art does, and I think that album absolutely does that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to mention at this point that I think Heathen is a work of visual genius. Oh, thank you. It doesn't have the same kind of uh, emotional resonance, but I think... Um, I think it's, it's it's safe to say that with Bowie, he'd gone through a period of uh, somewhat erratic, uh, compared to his very, very high bar, uh, somewhat erratic uh, releases. And then as soon as I saw the cover for Heathen, I thought, hello, he's back on form here, <laughs> which proved to be the case. Um, how do you feel about that album? Well, first, it's interesting you say his album's erratic because, you know, in conversation with him, he would admit it as well. He... He very much came over as saying Heathen was a return to uh, what he really wanted to to be at, at that time. For the cover, I mean, interestingly, I didn't listen to any of the music before I started it. It really was, so I had to take a different position in that I felt 
that I had to understand Bowie in relation to society, really. Now that might sound a bit pretentious, but what he served as was someone who was an outsider who fed into the mainstream, yes. you know, and um, that's what I tried to show on the cover. So there's, again, there is that person who has an, another worldly quality, but is observing and judging. And all through the, the booklet, and uh, you don't actually see his face. And this was quite a, a heated moment between me and the photographer. <laughs> no, of course, everyone wants to see David Bowie, but um, I wanted to play with this idea of the outsider. So we had this interesting exchange where I would take his face out and the photographer would put it back in, and then I'd, I'd take it out and put it back in. But uh, I think in the end, it's just the right balance of you know it's Bowie, but also you know there's an element of detachment. It was a very strange time. I mean, it was after 9-11, and you can see he's reflecting on the world and what what the way the world is going in that album, definitely. I mean, that's, I always saw uh, Bowie as a kind of avatar for, for, for our times anyway, yeah. if you know what I mean. But um, I... I think he lost his confidence in the in the, in the kind of patchy album period, <laughs> you know, uh, because he he seemed to be jumping onto different different bandwagons and stuff like yeah. that, you know, that all that thing with with um, oh god, who was it? He did the album that was Mother. What was that? God, I can't remember. Oh, anyway, it doesn't matter. So um, <laughs> move, let's get on to you, which is much okay. more important. I thought I'd get the bow thing out of the way. That's right. Everybody I'm not talking about um, Tell us about uh, you growing up and why you decided to enter the world of graphic design. Well, it all started with electronic music, as everything does. I mean, no, I was... <laughs> that's such bullshit. I'm not <laughs> no, it does. I mean, when I was 15, I, someone played me Craftwork, and then I got the album Man Machine. And just the cover really affected me. It had first, it wasn't uh, American focused. It was this new language for Europe. Uh, second, it had all these different languages on the third. You know, there was these very strange people on the front who were actually an amazing piece of branding. You know, yeah. whenever you see the red and black of graphics, you know what it means. Yeah. And I didn't understand how it worked on me. It was the same with um, someone you know very well with Matt and Garrett's covers for Simple Minds in that, there was a, there's an amazing energy with, if your cover is good and you love the music and they, they link in some way, they create something else. Same with Vaughan Oliver's work, same with Peter Savile's work. It's, there is a greater thing going on. And I really just wanted to emulate it. I didn't know what graphic designer was. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I'm from a working class family. We go to a factory and hate our job. That's, that's the way to do it. But, uh, yeah, I was so sensitive to the emotional thing that immediately made me interested in graphic designing. Like every person does, copy the logo on your school books. Yeah, yeah. So that's how it all started, really. So, really? Yeah. So yeah. it's really the graphic design philosophy of craftwork. Yes. <laughs> oh, actually, I, I never knew that. That's quite interesting. So, in 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 that respect, so. Was it? Is is? I suppose it's the minimalism that that appeals to you, and and that's reflected in your. I mean, you're a typographer as well. You, you know, your designs are. I mean, I was just going through them again this morning. There, there's a lot of primary colours in there. <laughs> there is. I think it's the archetypes are on minimalism, and I think, you know, with an album cover, you you're a chance to express the new universe of an album. You know, when an artist, a major artist, brings out an album, it's a big deal. 
still and there's a new universe open yeah and so if you can express that through images uh text and actually typography which is the the form with which you shape the language and you can do that well that's that's my aim and that was the interest in in graphics really yeah okay here's here's an interesting question what would you say differentiates you from your your uh, peers in terms of style um that's difficult because it is but, uh, some similarities, obviously. Of course, we we're all products of our time, and we should be comfortable with that. It's, I suppose, it's um, oh, it's very difficult because there's some brilliant people out there. But I, I think maybe I go a level deeper and refuse to compromise. Ah, good man. And when like to hear. the one, if there are any students listening, so the one thing I would say is not. It's not about being childish and having a tantrum, not compromising. It's just understanding what you believe in and then letting people know that. And then that work will come to you. I think that's that's very important. Um, so, yeah, is it I mean... Voca- is I, it vocational, would you say? Yes. I mean, you, like any creative field, you don't stop at five o'clock. You carry on working and everything links into being creative. Everything links into being a musician. Everything links into being a designer. You see, going to a building... You understand what time period each piece of furniture was designed in and that can and what the ideologies were then and that can feed into your work absolutely to understand where you are at this this moment. You know, it's a complex process, but I think it's universal between music, graphics, art, all those kind of things. Absolutely. When I go into a building, the first thing I do, and I can't switch this particular thing off, <laughs> is I've got a little kind of radar but a, a sonic version of it going, mm. right, okay, early, where's the early reflections? How long is the reverb really? time? What does this space sound like? Why does it sound like? And mm. I'm, it drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> I wish I could switch it off, but I can't because I've been immersed in this world of three dimensions. Is it the same for you when you, you're walking around the streets and you're looking at signs, you're going, that sign's not very well designed or, you know, that the, 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 uh, you know, the, the, uh, graphic design of this particular chain of of uh, 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 of uh, fried chicken is not particularly it's not working <laughs> i mean I, I would probably have a heart attack if i you know every single time i walk down the street i see errors in signing <laughs> that kind of thing. but you've got to have a sense of humor about it and also understand not everything has to be perfectly designed you know a lot of good graphic design comes from the bad graphic design originally it's the subversion you know and for instance you know Record um, nightclub flyers are an amazingly created source for me. They, they have been for the past 30 or 40 years. Often it's by people who are non-designers. Sometimes it's a designer who works directly with them, who understands the music. And they just get it. They get the spirit yeah. of the age. They get the spirit of the, the music. So I think the divide between good and bad design, wouldn't it be, I mean, it'd be boring if we all lived in a very tasteful yeah. world for a start. So I think yeah. there, there's an energy there in bad graphic design, which I really love. Yeah, and um, I've interviewed Ian Anderson. Yeah, great. Who I'm a good friends with. He's a fellow Sheffield Wednesday fan, and uh, which is the most important thing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> no, I, I really admire his his graphic design, and he has completely emerged from that uh, dance flyer kind of uh, 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 vernacular. Yes. And um, <laughs> I used to just tease him all the time. He's like. His thing is like cramming all the 
fonts together, isn't it? And changing the kerning and doing all that stuff. And um, what do you think about Ian's stuff? I think Ian is an amazing designer. And if there's anybody who captures the spirit and the energy of that music, it's it's him. It's because he lived lived the life of the the music. And I think um, you know Ian's work is actually has quite a complex intellectual basis in that he understood what exactly or he understands he's not passed away <laughs> he understands uh all the rules and he understands that he needs to subvert them yeah. um and his work just that the, and if an individual creating a, a visual language as a graphic designer you know it, he is absolutely one of the best um, yeah he's got I, a sense of humor as well, I think so. so have you done i mean he did um wipeout Right. Yes. No. The the which the graphics for that I didn't know Incredible. it was him when I bought Wipeout when yep. it first came out. And I thought the graphics are better yep. than the, the game, frankly. Um, yep. uh, uh, have you ever done any? Uh, you've done game design, have you? Well, funnily enough, only recently have we started doing it. Before my earlier fonts, there's one called Mason uh, and one called Excel, which were both used on uh, Quake and Doom. Right. And of course, I love those games, but I didn't necessarily love the way they were used. It was in the most obvious gothicy way. So, um, but recently, you know, the level of game design. I mean, we weren't involved. Like the game Control, I think, is amazing graphics and amazing atmosphere. Um, so they are used a bit, but we've never directly been involved in games. Because I was, for instance, when I design a typeface, I mean, I try and like you know, I try and subvert what's going on. Um, I try and, if people are into modernism, I would absolutely do something against modernism. And that doesn't work so well in the, the era of, in the world of games, I think. Right. So it's, um, they're often been used in unintended ways. But again, that's still still good. And what often happens is that people like to send me uh, examples of my fonts, which have been used all around the world. And it always amazes me that the atmosphere that people get from them. I mean, whether it's a, you know, a bar in Thailand or, I don't know, some other things are going on. And, uh, I don't wish to know about your private life. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else sent me this. <laughs> and what else was on the photo while we're at <laughs> I can't remember. He says uh, diplomatically. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But for the podcast listeners, he's gone red at this moment. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Pretty much implies guilt. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, tell me, right? I'm, I've always been fascinated with um, typography. Yeah. Uh, I have to say that I, without any, I've never had any training. I've never went to art college. Everything I've mm. learned creatively has been through teaching myself. Um, and I had a go at. Um, well, in fact, the first beam, the 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 cover of Bean Boyle, the first Human League single, I designed that. Well, uh, but he's only just sticking some letter set together, a really mm. stick thing anyway. And um, but I actually did have a go at designing some t- <laughs> some uh, some logos and stuff, which were shits, frankly. But some of it was quite good. Yeah. I look back on it now; it's quite kind of Bauhausy. Well, I did some flyers and. And stuff, and I soon gave that shit up because you had to do it by hand in those days. There was no, uh, there was no computer-assisted design. Um, but anyway, tell me about. Do you right? 
when you when you design a, a, a typeface that you intend to be a hit mm. and and get used a lot, obviously it has to be characterful. Yeah. You're not just tweaking a little bit of a serif here or there. It's like normally what you do is is quite, you know, identifiably you. Mm. So where do you start with that shit? <laughs> well, you say it's just not tweaking a, a serif here and there, but actually it is. You know, it's very interesting how you can just slightly manipulate a letter form and it will completely change the atmosphere. It's suddenly become off another era of 50s, 60s, 70s. So there's always that tension between actually the model people have in the head of letter forms and yeah. the the perception of it through time. You know, there are definite 70s fonts, you know, glam rock, that kind of thing, definite 30s fonts, sort of Broadway, yeah. thing. So all that's going on in your, in your head. Um, sometimes it's about just doing something which you think is beautiful. Sometimes it's about creating a tone of voice because that's what a typeface does. You know, it, it can whisper, it can shout. Often with things like the, the Bowie project um, projects, I would draw a typeface because I felt like I wanted to, for that new universe, a new visual language for it. And it would be quite subtle, like the next day, has a typeface called Doctrine on it. And uh, actually, you wouldn't know. But it's it's a new typeface, actually developed from North Korean Airways logo. <laughs> so, so the reference can be quite obscure, but it can produce something quite interesting contemporary if you recontextualize it, I think. And they take an awful long time to do. It took about six months to work on a decent typeface. Really? Yeah. Christ. So if you're doing a text typeface, I'd say. Is it... Uh, is it uh, uh, well, I think I know what the answer to this is, but is it is it an obsessive thing? I mean, is it like you know when it, you, you know when it's absolutely correct because you know it's going to be reproduced so much yes. and used in so many different contexts. There's no room for error. Is that that basically it? There is, but the, you know, there's the, there's also the punk element in design. Although many people think of designers as very corporate and artists as the, you know, the ones who are free, it sort of shuttles between the two in both areas. So artists do commissions, designers do their own work. So I think it's always important to suffer the expectation. So sometimes bad drawing can work uh, if you know what good drawing is. And even if you don't know what good drawing is, there's always the possibility to do something good. So it's like every creative output, like yourself, I'm sure, you're you're partly trying to subvert expectation exactly. as well. And that, that's... That's just important in typography. Um, and just to just to let you know a little about the, the history of when computers came into graphics and when the computers came into music, it really, it was a time when it was expensive to produce a typeface and there was a lot of older people doing it. We're talking about 1988, 1990. And the Mac came into design and suddenly loads of little foundries producing typefaces, producing stuff, produced stuff like loads of little record companies did at yeah. the point time and, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was a very punk exciting typography. Time. Sorry? Punk, punk type, typography, I suppose. Yes. In yes, a way. Absolutely. And um, it was that ability to do something which you felt could take over the world for not much money, you know, which is yeah. the essence of, of punk. And, of course, we haven't talked about Jamie Reed, who... Was, yeah. is one of the most amazing graphic designers in in history. You know, um, we 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 recorded. I spent a lot of time recording in Strong Room Studios, and he designed the interior. Oh, yeah. Yes, he did. have you been amazing. there? Yeah. yeah, it's really good. I haven't. But what what I find is interesting is that 
people again the thing graphic designers just produce their work but you can see very much for him there's a there's a creative development he he was into the punk aesthetic and then he moved on to something something else quite different because that was what was in, within his soul and i think yeah. it's important to to do that as a designer as well to develop so. it was very interesting in the in strong room because it's like really psychoactive the right. the uh, the graphic graphic design and color surrounding you everywhere yes. but it made for i always look forward to recording in strong room because instead of you know everything's kind of you know woody and maroon in here i didn't design <laughs> that but if it was if it was Jamie Reed, it's like you just feel inspired by the environment. It's like being in some kind of psychedelic dream all the time. And um, anyway, just a thought of like three D graphic design is quite an interesting. Yeah, that's what design can do. I mean, that's the original intention of the modernists, in that if you shape a better society visually, then you actually help society. And it's something we kind of we've lost in this era of endless consumption. I think the graphic designers have to imagine a utopia as musicians do as well, a, a better world, you know. So um, I think it's an important point you're making. So, oh, thank so. you. Um, uh, well, we don't want to imagine dystopia. We're in the middle of it. <laughs> um, so talking about um, talking about politics. Yeah. Now, I, you know, my uh, colours are nailed to the mast. <laughs> pretty, pretty certainly. I get a lot of... Uh, uh, I get a lot of troll action. I have to, <laughs> um, for my beliefs, but I'm sticking to them. And I believe you're a similar kind of kind of guy. Um, <laughs> tell me about your political persuasion. Well, <clears throat> you know, I worked in advertising a bit, and I used to see the way money was thrown around there. And then I used to go back to my parents who worked in factories, and they were treated like shit, really. Yeah. And it was. It was the conflict of that in that um, often people who have a bit of money really don't realise how it is for people who don't. They pretend they do and they pretend they're, they're understanding, but they don't. And it's this basic Marxist thing of you get value when somebody works for you and you should give them back that value, a proportion of it. It's not complicated. It's not anti-human. It's a basic thing of society. And that's why I've always believed in that people should be uh, given what they're worth and they should be treated with respect. Exactly. So it's, <clears throat> and that falls under the, the, the left-wing point of view and I, I make no apologies for that. I, I don't know when the idea of being left-wing became an insult because it's absolutely based on humans, you know, to me. And I will support that to the day I die. Absolutely. Yeah, and me too. And uh, I would be betraying the legacy of... My father was a trade unionist and yes. uh, a very Brilliant. proud socialist. I'm yeah. a proud socialist. I come from Sheffield, which is the Socialist Republic of South Yorkshire. Uh, <laughs> and uh, very proud of that fact. And um, we need to keep keep it, you know, keep the red flag flying, basically, I think. Um, I've always believed that. I'm, I'm a, a member of Unite. I resigned okay. from the Labour Party because of its current direction. I'm now a member of Unite, who I regard to be the, the uh, de facto uh, left-wing representatives in this country now. So, um, And they've got a left-wing leader just being elected, which is fantastic. Yes. Um, I know we're not here to discuss politics, but it does inform your work. That's why I mentioned yes, it. Does. My work. I so. think it's to do with honesty, again. Um, you can't be a hypocrite in your work. So I do have... 
an ethical policy where we won't work for companies who make the world a worse place. It's quite exactly. simple. I mean, a lot of that will go on gut instinct. But I think it's important to be true to your beliefs. You can't just sell your soul for money. It's, it might be an older idea, but it's a valid idea, I think. It's true. Um, and so stick to that. I recently turned down potentially a huge amount of money to work uh, for the um, the new art washing of the Saudi government. Uh, All right. they're, they're, they've been doing loads of stuff, and a lot of universities have taken the shilling, frankly. Uh, yeah, including Harvard and s- several in the UK, uh, and the, and using that as a kind of human shield or art shield, mm-hmm. they're trying to get people on board. Going, no, look, we're trying to reform our society. I'm going, tell me about your attitude towards uh, LGBT. And women. How about let's yes. let's start with that one, shall we? Yeah. And they go, oh no, but we're, things are changing. Honestly, they want you know, etc. So I'll tell them to show them <laughs> their ass. Um, no, no amount of money is worth uh, that kind no, of guilt. Um, so you're popular in Japan, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, I used to have a Japanese uh, partner, which is part of the reason because I think it's very difficult to be part of Japanese society if you're not involved in some way. But there's always been a connection between British graphic design and Japan, and particularly in the interest in pop music. So I think Neville Brody was the first, really, who, um, and then, of course, Vaughan Oliver and Ian, who's very much influenced by Japanese graphics. And it's interesting to see how it fed, fed back into itself uh, yeah. with his work. But they're very receptive to popular culture being important there. Um which I found absolutely fascinating. And, of course, there's the cliche of the tradition and the modern, but it absolutely does exist. And I think that exists in my work as well of taking the past, being a product of your time, but presenting it in a new context. So maybe that's why it chimed with them. And how how did it manifest itself, this popularity? I mean, did you have – I know that Ian Anderson, for instance, had – I don't know, he had – a lot of exhibitions out there and store, yeah. even stores selling his works and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think it was being able to work culturally at the centre of things. We worked, we worked on a museum which opened up um, from scratch and, uh, you know, had lots of exhibitions there. But it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, that, I mean, it's nice, the popularity, and of course everybody likes it, but the important thing, I mean, I'm sure we do work, is that people understand the message or that it functions well within the parameters it's supposed to function. So I don't necessarily think about being famous or not in Japan as a song. <laughs> goes. Japan, yeah. It's more about whether people have understood the work and also provide an example because there's so much um, emphasis on a career in, in yeah. society nowadays. And don't give a fuck about that. Do the work you want to do and the work will come to you. Yeah, That's I the agree. most important thing. The work will come to you and you will be happy doing the work you want to do. And I hope at least, example, and I don't say it in any modest way, an example to people to know that you can, it will be okay. You know, you can survive and you can enjoy your life as well. You don't have to always take the, the oh, Exactly, the exactly. So here's another interesting thing. Yeah. You're making music with your wife? Yes. Wife. Yeah. Um, uh, Fragile Self. That's right. I, re- I really like very much. Oh. I've been listening to it quite a lot, actually. It's it's um, quite minimalist, and if yes. you're thinking synesthetically, it's 
kind of feels like graphic design in a strange sort of way. <laughs> uh, but with a bit more kind of organic elements and obviously it's time-based art. But uh, yeah. uh, tell us a bit more about that. How, I mean, how, how long have you been making music? Um, well, till, well, since I met my wife, whose name is Anna Icahn, I have to say she's Turkish. Um, and it's the sum of parts, really. She's a brilliant lyric writer and a great singer. And uh, I was always interested in the technical part of um, electronic music. But it took that combination to really, you know, to create songs and to finish them and to understand that how important um, graphic design is in music because it was a, a chance to... I mean, I know already, but it was a, a chance to really push the two together. So that, for instance, the first release was obviously a CD vinyl, but also a 500-page book, which took like two years to make. <laughs> just, just, just a 500-page book. <laughs> I'll just knock one out. Yeah, mixture of photography and writing that influenced it. Um, I'm always very careful about that, because I remember when I was working with Bowie, I put up this blog explaining the cover the next day because it got so much flack that I felt like I had to justify it and I saw him on the phone he said don't do that he said it in a very nice way he said because you've got to leave space for people to make their own yeah. meaning because um, it's important to them and uh, so whenever I do explain something like particularly Black, Black Star I leave it open for people and also for Fragile Self it was very much these are the influences but we're not going to say what exactly they, they led to this is the area, this is the atmosphere. So it's um, a chance to be as absolute with that idea of graphics and music combined, really. So. Interesting. Very interesting. Have you ever done any videos? Uh, we, I've done videos for, um, for Fragile Self and a few for John Fox, but they, they tend to be um, animated videos rather than, rather than live action. Right. So, I missed that in my research. I do apologize. That's right. Uh, um, I will go and look at it directly after this. No um, and it, are they graphically led? Yes, they are. Um, uh, definitely. I mean, with, we haven't talked about John Fox uh, yet. No, we need to talk about John. <laughs> yeah. But with, um, yeah, because for me, language is, you know, the starting point of music as, as well as everything, as well as music itself. So the typography was very important. And with Fragile Self, we drew a, a, a typeface as well, because, again, it's about speaking that new language. Um, and one of the influences, which actually was um, Ingmar Bergman, so the typeface we used for that is taken off his film titles, actually. Ah. Um, so there's, there's different layers, which obviously take ages to do if you're drawing a typeface for, for a project. But um, uh, they're all important just to trigger uh, layers of meaning for people and hopefully... There's some some way they identify themselves. Have you ever considered um, a three-dimensional visual design? Um, I mean, you obviously were involved in the Bowie exhibition and yes. all that stuff. Uh, that's one thing, but I meant in a purer form like architecture or some description or, well, I'd or love to a be collaboration involved. with architecture. <clears throat> yes, I mean, I've had... You know, the stakes of a graphic designer is quite low in society, and you know, I understand that. <laughs> um, and so I've been in contact with architects, um, and it's never quite come off. I mean, I would love someone to say to me, hey, here's a 
piss some money design a building, but I, unfortunately, it's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, but you could do it as a, you could do it as a collaboration. With, yes, yeah. It's what they're very, very, very process driven. I mean, it's hammered into them for seven years that yes. they are the priesthood. Yes. Of, of of three dimensional uh, building design, basically, and uh, and and heaven forbid anybody should try to do it who haven't had that, who haven't sacrificed seven years of their life for it. So I can understand why they feel that way. It's a bit like me going into a doctor's office saying I could be a doctor. It's easy, it's easy. <laughs> but um, yeah, maybe I, I just feel that I, I just feel this this space for that. Um, for first uh, artistic input from a visual perspective yes in in th in three dimensional uh, physical design i, I suppose the, the way in is via you know uh, uh, it, it, it is it, it is via the architecture in an exhibition or something yes like yeah i mean i've dealt with as you mentioned the david bowie exhibition of the vna day bowie is i mean i've designed the black and white years which is instantly my favorite period of bowie yeah. when he was in berlin and it's I mean, that does extend the album cover further, which I found exciting. You're not just looking at in front of you, you actually enter an environment. Yeah. Um, so that aspect is attractive, but unfortunately it hasn't happened yet. That's, I mean, oh, come on, let's make it happen. The, I reason I, the reason I asked, I'm always looking after, looking after my own interests, of course, <laughs> because if you ever decided to do anything like that, I'm fascinated with the combination of... Um, of, of a th uh, three-dimensional physical design and yes. sound design, because Absolutely. I think they have a lot to inform each other about. And 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 as we all know, when you combine different but related forms of art, you tend to end up with something which is more than the sum of the parts. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So I believe that to be the case. Anyway, so if you ever went down that way, remember who your friends are. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the guy <laughs> under uh, 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 under a cardboard box. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> under the under Charing Cross Bridge. Anyway, yes. Uh, moving on. Yeah. Uh, let's see where we're at here. Damien Hurst, tell me what a twat is. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I found him great fun to work. With. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I'm being somewhat uh, provocative. No, it's all right. I mean, I think anybody who's that popular news has that much money. Obviously, invites um, criticism and. Uh, I think some of it is justified, you know. I mean, I don't particularly like his artwork nowadays, but I, when I started work with him in, it was 1997, there was, it was a particularly exciting moment in Britain, you know. It was before Iraq, New Labour had been uh, elected. John Major, was it John Major? was out. Yeah. Um, there was some really interesting music from Britain, whether you liked it or not, Blur Oasis, which was yeah. very much only from this country. And British art was at the top of the tree. You know, there were artists like Damien Hurst and Tracy Emin and Sarah Lucas, um, who were the pop stars. And it was very interesting to be around Hurst at that time because he was like a pop star. He'd walk down the street, people would come up for his autograph, he'd go to a restaurant, he'd play, pay with a drawing on a napkin. Yeah. And in a funny way, I think the fame helped him. It really um, made him push his art and so there was a time where I thought it was really exciting um, and that relationship lasted about 10 years we worked together and it was it was an it was very similar to working to musician with the musician is work of course visual but it was how do you translate that into say a printed 
form and put over the atmospheres of the world yeah. without saying. So you were, you did the books uh, is is catalogues, did you? Yes, uh, it's catalogues, and is he had the a major monograph come out, which really we talked about pop music when we did it. We didn't talk right. about other artists because art book design, you know, there's some very interesting stuff, but the default is nice white page, big picture, simple type, and really we're both TV kids, so we made right. sure that the group the book was you know like in for one of a dated metaphor an mtv pop video you know you change the work you change the whole look of the book and we wanted to make it fun as well you know it's the first time really that i felt like the mainstream understood the value of a visual artist lots of people hated it but lots of people could actually see that there was something in it yeah of course um yeah yeah so um i'm just going back to the the how you're described on Wikipedia? It says, just, it, "It says no, no, don't worry, <laughs> it's fine." Uh, it says in uh, industrial design. Right. Uh, did, yeah, I mean, I did, what have you done industrial design wise? But not much. I mean, I can't. I didn't write my Wikipedia entry. That's why I, I laughed. But it's you know, it's still stuff to do with graphic design, which is designing watches and a few other things. Oh, have you? Yeah, which are which are interesting, but they're. They're a small foray into industrial design. Of course, the ultimate thing would be to design a, a building or something like that, where you you are in control of every element from, uh, from where everybody looks. You've designed something. So, I mean, oh, one of the questions I was going to ask you at the end was your unfulfilled ambition. So I'm going to take that. <laughs> <laughs> Just to design an entire building from from scratch, yeah, from scratch. would, would yeah. be great. Um, Tell us about John Fox. Well, along with Kraftwerk, I suppose John Fox has been the central musician and Bowie, of course, in, in my life. Um, there was something when I was 13 or 14, again, that just hit me really hard in his music. There was the sense of place of being really British, of not talking about America, a place that I'd never been all the time. There was, again, something which was in... Uh, Bowie, The Outsider, uh, which was in his music. Um, and he was an intellectual, you know, he combined quite big art concepts in music, but also in his graphics. I mean, I don't know how many people listening to this will know his graphic work, but he's incredibly influential, I think, and really undervalued uh, in terms of his record cover designs he did for Old Fox and when he went solo. They're absolutely beautiful. They are, they are. Very much in the spirit of the age. And if you look at my sketchbooks when I first studied um, 16, it's just John Fox ripoffs, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was becoming a graphic designer and understanding that all these things linked together. And it really was, he was one of the best examples. And uh, it took me like 20 years to get over myself and to actually ask him <laughs> if I could do some work. And he's an incredibly nice guy. Uh, he, is. he is. And so We've been collaborating on the covers and a bit of VJing as well, which is very exciting. Oh, that's good. Do you do VJing? Yes. The first time I met him, actually, his manager, Steve Mallins, and him said, oh, are, you, are you free this day because we're VJing? Because we're performing in front of 5,000 people at the Roundhouse. You can do a bit of VJing. Well, that's an interesting introduction to it. <laughs> so, um, How did you do yeah. it? And what did you use? What equipment? Uh, well... It was the opposite of designing a typeface, which is you have to be spontaneous. Of course, you have to prepare. And it's like a musician. You have to prepare, but 
you have to live in the moment as well, otherwise you can't enjoy it. So it's a series of typography and clips which are combined in a way which portrays the energy of the music. That's all you can do. And, of course, I cacked my pants sort of <laughs> the night before. Were you on stage? Yes, on stage, yeah. So it's, but it was, you know, a fantastic feeling. And, um, again, that moment of performance, when Fragile Self do eventually gig after all this pandemic is over, it will be something that I want to bring back the trying to create new visuals but do them spontaneously, which is not easy. But, uh, no. Well, um, I, I, we're just about to do the first two Human League albums yes. at the Roundhouse. In fact, this will come out after it's happened, so hopefully okay. it's, gone off, it's gone off all right. <laughs> uh, but uh, Malcolm's going to be Malcolm Garrett's going to be on really? stage doing the visuals for the a kind of contemporary version of the you know the four screens that we used to have uh, with yeah. uh, uh, cheap ass Kodak projectors and. And, well, I love Malcolm's work. He's uh, well. yeah, it, cool. So he's like going to be the Adrian Wright of the band for one <laughs> night only. And uh, two nights, actually. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, similar kind of thing, really. It's, it's VJing uh, and, and stuff like that. Anyway, so. Um, just just to say a bit more about John John Fox. I mean, the, the stuff that I do for him, and sometimes I I think I know John Fox better than John Fox, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but because yeah. I am, I know every single line of his lyrics and understand the album covers before, some of which Malcolm did. Um, I I hope I understand the atmosphere, and I think I spend a huge amount of time on those covers, and I hope that they it comes through that I've understood his philosophy. Not that it's designed by me, but I've understood John Fox's philosophy and put it over to the people who like to be. Well, it, what does he say? Well, he's a very generous person, so he likes them. <laughs> no, I don't think he's generous. He obviously likes them, or else he wouldn't keep on using you, would he? Yes. Um, so, um, the Barn Book Bible, tell me about yeah. that. Uh, that was my monograph. You know, I, <clears throat> it's very difficult to sometimes think that you're worthwhile enough to have a book on you. I don't know, that sounds ridiculous, but... Um, uh, I had an exhibition at Design Museum in London in 2007, so it all came as part of that. And again, that's like an album in that it, yeah. it's probably illegible, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a chance to explain everything. And I managed to get Bowie to write a couple of paragraphs as well. Oh, there you go. That's a bit non-stop, so there's a little bit of an explanation. And again, he doesn't like explaining stuff, but I, I made him for that. So there's a little explanation of heathen in there for anybody who's oh, nice. interested. Um, I think one thing I'm thinking about with Bo was I found in him first a, an amazing sense of humour, which I, I think is important to be a creative person, not to take yourself too seriously. Otherwise it can lead to all kinds of negative self-destruction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is how to encourage people and produce their best work and have a good time doing it. And, you know, you see a lot of creatives and they treat the people around them like shit, basically. But in the end, they get a good product. But with him, and I hope with, uh, when I try and work with other people, is the important thing is it's actually fun. Yeah. And, yeah. of course, it costs your soul in some way. Any creative output does, but it doesn't mean to say uh, you can't be, make it enjoyable. And he had that very unique way of doing that. I mean, when I look back, I think about how much we laughed on a project as well as, you know, yeah. risks. But it's very important, I think. Oh, it's very important. I mean, it's incredibly important. And it's been very important for 
my work with both the Human League and Hem17. In fact, a lot of the people that I've produced as well. Yeah. You know, if you keep it light in the creative phase of what you're doing, yeah. um, often people stretch outside their comfort zone without even realising it because yeah. they're so busy having a good time. And I think there's a lot to be learnt from what you just said there. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's the end of that one. Um, okay, smash it's time. Favourite <laughs> film? Favourite film? Favourite film? Uh, yeah, it was between two, actually. Um, it was 2001 by Kubrick and Mirror by Tarkovsky. And they're, they're both related in that they enter a different level of consciousness, I think. Right. Now, of course, everybody knows 2001, but Tarkovsky is a very interesting film filmmaker in that it really does test your attention as well. But if you stick with it, it's the yeah. most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. Right. So I, um, I need to I need to see that because I, I, obviously I've seen a couple of his films. I've not seen that. Um, the what was I going to say? I had a similar experience regarding hard to focus kind of thing. Uh, with <laughs> I was invited to a press preview. A friend of mine who was performing in the Royal Opera, uh, and uh, he said, "Oh, come down and see uh, Parsifal." Right, uh, and it's on in the afternoon. It's the final dress rehearsal, you know, dress rehearsal, whatever. I said, oh, I'll do that." Um, I got there, and then it said, "I looked at the program, and it said this performance lasts six hours." <laughs> I'm going, "No, my attention span is generally not that bad, but six hours is a bit of a commitment, right, <laughs> to something you anyway." So the first half hour, the curtain goes up. Nobody moves on stage. There's about 10 people on stage and everybody's static. And the music is just building and building and building. And the first quarter of an hour, I'm fidgeting in my seat going, I can't stand it, I can't stand it, I can't stand it. How are we going to do six hours of this? And then, after, and then this magical moment happens where you enter into that uh, continuum. Yeah. And the rest of it just flew by. It was just right. beautiful. And I, that taught me a lot, that one experience. Yeah. Uh, actually got me into long form uh, right. music. Yeah, I think um, it's very important because we're all, our attention spans are all shot to pieces yeah. uh, because of our expectation of getting a message straight away. And it's important for artists to remind people that there is a, a different level of consciousness. Yeah, and I'm a big fan of this kind of slow TV thing that's yeah. a popular thing at the moment. Anyway, um, you know, drifting down a canal for five hours or <laughs> going on the back of a, a sleigh ride in Lapland. Yes. Um, TV show. Oh. Oh, can I say Peep Show? It's yeah. my most. <laughs> you can. It's very funny, I must say. Uh, very funny. It, but it's the, the closest thing to real life I've ever seen. The kind of the self doubt, the hatred of my, minor irritations, that kind of thing. It may not be the most serious thing, but I learned a lot about life <laughs> from it. It's beautifully written. As it's well. briefly written, and the, just the simple premise that, like, uh, constantly bringing to the front the internal di uh, monologue yes. that's going on in your head is such a piece of genius. It is absolutely, uh, and, and and I know in a similar way you've got things like The Office, where it's it's like a you know the faux, the kind of spinal tap thing, where it's the phone documentary. Mm. But this is clever, I think. Um, favorite book? Uh, Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse. Now, I think you see a theme there, which is the yeah. outsider. And I think Steppenwolf um, explains it very well, the conflict between uh, an artist who wants to be 
who's naturally not an artist, the person who wants to be on their own and separate from society, but also feels ultimately drawn to it. And it's the conflict going on inside him about that. And I first read it when I was 17, I think. And of course, at that age, absolutely describes uh, where you are. And then there's so many other things in it as well. He talks about music in the, I mean, he, it's also written in the 1930s. So he says about how a, a really bad public sound system, the magic of music can still come through. And it's freeze yeah, today and that kind of thing. So that spirit within something, despite all the changes of form, can, can still be pure and, and touch people. It's a fantastic book. Uh, absolutely. I shall reread it. I'm not ready for, re- for ages. Um, musical artist or composer? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've sort of mentioned them. Bowie and, and uh, Fox really, and Craftware were all really central to when I was young for escaping from the, I was born in, a, in Luton. Um, oh my god which has a bad <laughs> bad reputation getting better now and I still feel part of the town um, and the beauty of John Fox's writing uh, really took me out of that and craft work about a you know a horizon when you're 16 which is much wider than just your your town and Bowie because you could be someone else you know yeah uh, yeah just very yeah. exciting I think I, and also you know I was thought of um, Bowie as a, a, a kind of representative of the uh, uh, of the maverick outsider. You know? Yes, and absolutely. I think he, he created a kind of magnetic field to attract those people who didn't feel part of any other tribe. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, we've done the ambition, ambition unfulfilled, recreating the <laughs> universe in my own style. Um, Just a minor thing. <laughs> uh, visual artist. Uh. There's so many. I mean, the first person I think of is Malevich, the Russian artist. I mean, you notice on the bow cover the next day, there's a white square. It actually yeah. comes directly from Malevich, the, the okay. black square. Oh, and right. He's an abstract painter, but he's, you know, constructivism is very interesting in the way that it treated the forms of circle, square and triangle. And they took on almost a mystical form. According to them, religion was dead and the, the future was modernism. And his approach, I mean, I don't know if this all sounds like bullshit, but this approach of the way he used uh, abstract forms does have almost a mystical feel to them. And uh, that very much influenced the next day, the purity of the, the square. And if you open up the package, there's actually a black square right opposite on the inside of the front cover. Yeah, so I, couldn't, I must admit, uh, when, I got, when I got that album, I... I found it fr- simultaneously frustrating and 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 fascinating, uh, <laughs> and I think that probably was the intention, really. Yes. Yeah. Um, epif- epiphanal moment in your life. Oh. <laughs> this interview. I don't think there. Are, I don't. I've never been asked that before. I can't think of one. Um, I don't know when I started to laugh at myself when I was about twenty-one. I think that's oh, what right. takes so, so seriously when you're younger. And then uh, I can't remember who said it. He said, if you can't see yourself as the biggest joke, then you're, you're really missing something in life. You know, yeah. I think it's very important. Bowie had that, you know, he would constantly make fun of himself. And I think in some ways that's how he survived 
you know, when he was younger, he was obviously very close to death many times on his mm-hmm. drug binges. And having a sense of humour about yourself saves you in the end in those situations. Yeah, I, I think, I, think I can deal with that. And the laughing gnome is a perfect example. I <laughs> <laughs> um, did ask him. Did you? His worst ever track. Yes. Uh, and he said the first Decker album, which I, I think Laughing Gnome is on. Yeah, it's like... Uh, it does have some good... Uh, yes, I think it's album. a great album, actually. London um, Boys, I think he's on that. I think. Yeah. I think I like and I said, what, the Laughing Gnome? He said, what, do people find that annoying? <laughs> I said, some people do. Yes. <laughs> anyway, um, finally, I have to ask this question of everyone. Yeah. Um, what's your favourite synth? Mm. Well, I'm really interested in modular synthesis, so that generally is my favourite synth. In that, um, if you really don't know what modular synth is, it's all the bits of the synthesizer are yeah. divided into an oscillator, a filter. Yeah, it's the generative possibilities of it, and the fact that each module can be a f- complete philosophy as well. You know, this is the way someone shapes sound with a filter. Yeah. This is the way someone would generate a, a drum beat. But I'm trying to think. I mean, I obviously we all love Moog, and they've got. Yeah. Three little synthesizers, the Mother 32, the Subharmonicon, and the DFAM, and they are amazing. They're not, you know, from the history of synthesizers yeah. like CS80, but yeah, yeah. they're beautiful little things which work really well, and they, they they sound like the future, which is what a synthesizer should, you know. Good. Um, I just have to put a, a mention in. I've never done this in any of the other podcasts. Um, for the Cor- uh, the Korg, not about five or six years ago, Korg put out, uh, these things, mostly for educational purposes, called little bits. Do you know about those? Oh, yes, I remember that, yeah. yeah. I thought They're they incredible. were just tremendous. I love the yeah. idea to take these different modules, which are all about an inch square, out of a box. Mm. They all fit together magnetically, and within, like, f- I did a little video of it, actually. Within about five minutes, you've got you've got a sequencer, you've got everything working. I so it's brilliant. Anyway. They get. They sent me a set. I'm glad to say. Anyway, I get all sorts of shit for free. Thank God. <laughs> but the, the beauty of electronic sound is a fundamental thing. I mean, when I first saw a synthesizer when I was like seven or eight years old, I couldn't keep away from it because it's it's the purity of a sine wave making up other things yeah. and it's the possibility to create anything. You know, yeah. anything with a synthesizer, which is so exciting. I think, and that's what ultimately drew me towards electronic music and record covers. And also, one more thing is there are now software oscillators. So yeah. say, for instance, you're feeding a, I don't know, output from a modular synth into your digital audio workstation. You can actually put in line an oscillator and see the shape of the waveform. Mm. It's a great teaching tool. It is. For pure synthesis. Anyway, that's it. Thank okay. you so much. Well, and, uh, thank you. I, I think we've got to the end of this one. And... Uh, <laughs> Great. Uh, lots of love. I hope to actually meet you in the flesh at some point and we can have yes. a beer together or whatever. That would be lovely. And um, and uh, thank you very, very much for your time. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Martin. Thanks, Cheers. Okay. That was Jonathan Barnbrook. What a decent chap. And I think that was quite a an enlightening conversation uh, in terms of the connection between visual design, sound, architecture. Cool, we're so pretentious, aren't we? Actually, I don't think we are. I think it's all, these are all valid um, 
cross-fertilizations of creativity. Before we go any further, um, just like to say I made a mistake. It does happen. I am human, of course. Um, towards the end of the interview, I mentioned that you can now get software oscillators, and I meant to say oscilloscopes. And very kindly, Jonathan didn't mention anything, which I thought I was a complete idiot. Um, and I've only just noticed it. So I apologise. It's a software oscilloscope, not a software oscillator. I will never live this down. Big warm welcome to our new sponsors, SJM Concerts, Simon Moran. They are one of Britain's leading promoters. They also promote our our tours generally. They represent people like uh, Take That, Spice Girls, Foo Fighters, Coldplay, Stormzy, Muse, Robbie Williams, Peter Kay, Billie Eilish, Adele, The Killers, Arctic Monkeys, Little Mix, amongst many others. Um, we are thrilled to be associated with them and I can't think of a better sponsor for us. So thank you very much for your help in keeping this podcast going. Yeah, how is everyone? Are you surviving the um, vicissitudes? That's a good word, isn't it? Vicissitudes of the um, of COVID and its attendant problems. Hope you are. Uh, we're doing some big shows. Um, pro- we'll have already done our... Um, reproduction and travelogue shows by the time this comes out uh, so hopefully they went fine and uh, send me emails if you have any ideas compliments uh, money <laughs> no uh, send me send me your comments of any description via email to electronically martin at gmail.com that's electronically martin with a y remember thank you very much bye